Yeah, it's recording now. We're good. So, what do you, how do you want to do it, though, Eli? Okay. Um, welcome, guys, to uh, episode 14 of EDH Takes. If you if that joke went over your head, that was the EDH Rec cast um, song that they do on their podcast. And why, Eli, why is it that we were doing that at the beginning? We're going to talk about EDH Rec today. So, Spencer, uh, along the lines of the EDH Rec cast, um, say a funny joke now. Um, oh, sh- I wasn't ready. Um, Make me laugh, funny man. Monkey, monkey, white cards. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, we have fun. We like to have fun around here. But, yeah, like we were saying, I'm Spencer Cook. And I'm Elijah Samuelson. And we're back for episode 14, like we said before, and, and like like... Like I said as well, like you said, Eli, we're going to be talking about EDH Rec. This is an episode that we've been kind of wanting to do for a while now, um, but it's kind of um, intimidating, I'd say, right, Eli? Like we've been had it on the back burner, but we hadn't. Yeah, it's a little bit confrontational. This might be one we've we've done stuff before that people probably wouldn't like, and we've probably said things that people wouldn't like. But this one is one where I think people might feel more strongly, and it might come across like we're we're attacking individuals or the website, but that's really not the purpose of this. We just want to get clear some things, you know? Yeah, and this is uh, specifically, um, the episode is about the website edhrec.com, not the podcast that the uh, EDHREC cast does about commanders. Yeah, not specifically those guys, uh... Might mention some of their things uh, at some point just because they're relevant, but... Yeah, we're just here to air some grievances. Yeah. Um, so you want to maybe get us get us into the, the start of this then, Eli? Yeah, to, uh, to intro this, pretty much there's little in the way of collectible data for Commander. Like, there's no top eights, there's no GPs, there's no way to really gauge... Like, we mentioned this on the Banlist episode a little bit, how you can't really gauge the strongest decks in the format that well. Um, Commander's far from solved. Uh, there's just very little data out there, but in this barren wasteland of, of little to no data, there's one gleaming pillar of truth, some yeah. might think. Yeah, you think and, so? <laughs> and everyone looks towards it, and people want to know things. They don't want to feel like they're in the dark, so they look at this. They look at the great EDH wreck as it is, uh, you know, the, the bastion of hope. Yeah, well, I, I mean, just to kind of talk about that like edh rec is probably the most popular commander website on the internet i believe i mean i don't have data for that but i don't think many people would contest that idea right like it's very popular everybody recommends it and there's good reasons to recommend it but yeah it's 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 no doubt um synonymous with commander itself right well and while there's certainly other popular websites for magic in general there's no specifically commander oriented website that I would think is more popular than EDH Rec. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and one of the things that, you know, EDH Rec does is they collect data from um, some websites and they use that to um, provide recommendations on uh, commanders and cards for commander decks. And they show things like popularity. Um, I mean, we'll probably go over a lot of these things uh, later on, but, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that they do. And some of it's okay, some of it's a little bit. Um, iffy in my opinion mm-hmm. and we kind of want to talk about mostly how edh rec data is often misinterpreted um and a lot of people 
kind of think that it's more meaningful than I think you and I really think it is, Eli, right? Yeah, EDHREC can be a very useful tool, and it is a net positive thing that it exists, but like like I said there, it's a, it's a tool, and how people use it is uh, sometimes incorrectly. Yeah, so, you know, just uh, not to um, claim some sort of um, academic background, like Eli and I are not statisticians. Um, I, I have a couple classes I have took in college about statistics and probabilities, but that's nothing near um, what is necessary to do statistics stuff. Um, I would say I know enough to know that I don't know, yeah. if you're familiar with that um, phrase. But So my point here is that stats is hard, especially for conglomerating data like for Commander. Um, and because stats is so difficult, we should really evaluate how the EDHREC data is used and kind of not assume too much from it. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to kind of get into our first point about EDHREC, Eli? Yeah, we broke this down into three major points uh, against EDHREC. Like, not specifically that the website is doing anything wrong, but points where uh, maybe people are misunderstanding some things. Yeah, or things that you know people should keep in mind when they're seeing when they're they're val- to figure out how much they should value the data, how much they should weigh the data, right? Yeah. So, point number one. Incomplete data. So we wanted to mention which sources EDHREC draws their data from and which ones they notably left out. Yeah. it's One of the things, you know, for statistics is making sure you have a um, good uh, sample size and as well as a good um, a, a, a cross-sectional sample size, a sample size that isn't biased in some ways. And it's... It's hard to make an affirmative or a negative on that without going too hard about it. But one thing we want to bring up is um, EDHREC excludes one of the largest uh, deck building websites, tappedout.net. And it's not by choice. Tappedout.net used to be, um, it, you used to let them um, scrape data from their website, but I think they had some uh, API changes and the EDHREC is no longer allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so notably, they still collect from Etherhub, Architect, Commander Spellbook, Deck Stats, Moxfield, MTG Goldfish, and Scryfall. Yep, no other websites um, other than those uh, seven or eight that you just listed there. Which, before doing this, I mean, I'm aware of Scryfall. I don't use it that much, but I didn't even know that people put decks on Scryfall. Yeah, um, there are there are some decks on Scryfall, though I don't think it is nearly one of the most popular um, deck building websites, but I do think Scryfall is one of the best websites for Magic in general. But that's just my opinion on that. But and I'm sure, aside from Tapped Out, there probably are like smaller websites that they don't draw from, but uh, we're not aware of them. So yeah, they're not as relevant. We can't speak to that. Tapped Out is really the big omission there, and it's really unfortunate because, um, well, excluding Tapped Out itself doesn't necessarily make the data wrong or bad. Um, it is very unfortunate that. What, what at least at one point was the most popular website is now excluded. There's arguments for whether or not that is the most popular anymore. I'm not entirely sure about that. I would probably edge on the side of it still being the most popular. But um, that it's kind of digressing from the point. It's just kind of unfortunate that it's excluded and you have to at least take that as a point against the validity of the data. Mm-hmm. Um. And some interesting things about that as well is um, um, some popular like YouTube and um, Twitch streams and stuff like that still use Tapped Out for a lot of their things. Like, for example, 
arguably the largest um, Commander YouTube channel, Game Nights, Command Zone, all of their deck lists for all of their Game Nights episodes are always on Tapped Out. They have been since the start. Yeah, in their show notes, they link to the the deck lists, and that has been Tapped Out. Yeah, and it continues to be Tapped Out. Even Yeah, even now. Even after, they've recently, within uh, the last year or two, Command Zone has been handling the post-production work for EDH Rec and like helping with their editing and other behind the scenes stuff for the, uh, for the for the podcast, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just think you would think that they would move their deck lists onto other websites as well as Tapped Out. I mean, I'm not sure if they they do. I don't believe they do. I don't. I mean, all I, they're they're all this in the description. That's all I can go off of. And it's, yeah, they're all links to Tapped Out. So, so that's just something to to keep in mind. Additionally, um, at least uh, historically. I know it's not necessarily what we're talking about, but for CEDH, a lot of the classic like CEDH primers, like that people would write a primer being like a deck list as well as like a very detailed description as well as like you know instructions on how to play it, card choices, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Sort of primers, if you're not aware. Um, most of those primers are on tapped out because that was like the 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 place where people would make their decks for a long time, and they've kind of been grandfathered in as like the place for a lot of CDH deck lists even now. Um, and something else that's kind of funny is that um, it's just it's just kind of a funny anecdote here. Um, the the there's a there is a tier list for popper competitive EDH, and the popper competitive EDH tier list website is on deck stats. And it links to sample deck lists for um, for for decks, and some of those sample deck lists are either on Moxfield, which EDHREC does pull from, and some of them are on Tapped Out. And the only reason, the only like reason why a deck list is on Tapped Out or on Moxfield is just who ended up putting it on the on the site. So my point is, there's not really a standard. It's it's really like even in even in like places where you'd expect everything to be the same, you know, some things are represented, sometimes they're not. They're in different places. There's no standard. Yeah, there's no consensus on what is the the best or the the most ubiquitous deck building website out there. Mm-hmm. Notably, though, another uh, thing from Tapped Out, that's where the EDH takes deck lists are. <laughs> if you ever want to look for EDH So if you want to see our decks and be like, these... These decks suck ass. What are these guys talking about? Mm-hmm. Can go on there. I think um, I had a tweet linking my deck list at one point. We could maybe put that out again or put yeah. it in the show notes or something. I've got a link to one of my lists on there. You can go for my profile and find it on our Twitter. Yeah. Scroll back. Decks are probably a little out of date. There's been a yeah. lot of new sets recently, and I, I kind of make one or two changes, usually like per set, and probably haven't caught up quite yet. But We don't tweet all that much. You can probably find our list pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of magic players tweet a lot, multiple, many, many times a day. It's hard to it's hard to scroll back and find their stuff. I just I don't have that many thoughts in my head. Like, yeah, you know, or just maybe it's a <laughs> some you gotta save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> well, um, I think yeah. Well, was there anything else you wanted to say about the um the the their sources right like the the exclusions yeah of... the uh, the incomplete data um anything else we think about that Spencer yeah I think. It's just very, it's just a thing that's swept under the rug a lot, I think. And I just want to emphasize that Tapped Out really, it may be like our only point on this section, but Tapped Out is an important part of um, of, of the, the online like deck lists. Um, and I mean, that kind of transitions me into 
our next point a little bit, which is uh, about m- misleading data. Sometimes there's some, and it's not not like they're misleading the data. It's more like that users will misinterpret the data. Um, but like the main problem with EDHREC is not the data that it collects. It's how the data is interpreted by players and by content creators as well. So why don't we just kind of get into that a little bit, Eli, and you can tell me some of the problems with um, the way that the data is interpreted. Yeah, so there is a lot of information on EDHREC. And if you'll see a card or a commander, and it'll say, for for cards at least, it'll say this is in a certain percentage of decks. It'll say this is in like 21% of, and then it'll have a number. Mm-hmm. And that number is supposed to represent the amount of possible decks that that card could go into. So if it's like a Dovin's Veto, that could go into any deck with both white and blue in it. And decks that contain more colors, white, blue, and green, or whatever, right? right? Yeah. So any deck with at least those colors, it should have, that number should be representative of the white, blue, plus decks. Yeah, and sometimes they also give you exact numbers, like it says 10% uh, out of 60,000 decks or something like that, right? Yeah, and so there's a these numbers, like if something says this card is in... 10% of blank, you might look at that and be like, oh, it's it's saying 10% of, like, all decks on the website. Yeah, and that's not a problem with, you know, their data. It's just that it's not, sometimes it's not very clear what it means. Um, there's, I don't think there's really many places where it tells you what this means. It'll just say percent of decks. Yeah, and we were doing some research for this, and we even went through and looked at uh, I was looking through some Boros stuff and saw Esper Sentinel, and it said this was in, like, 20% of a much lower... Like, the average number for white decks was, like, 200,000 or something like that. And it was saying this is in, like, 20% of, like, 6,000 decks. And I'm like, wait, what's that number come from? And there's these different numbers that come up for different cards. And and I couldn't... Could we figure out exactly what that... We had some guesses as to what that yeah. might mean. So so one thing that EDHREC does very strangely is they have different places where data is held. So, for example, they have, um, when you look just look up a card, you have, you know, data. Or when you look up, like, Boros Staples, they have a page for Boros Staples. That will show different um, numbers than when you just look up the card. Like, for example, when we found Esper Sentinel in Boros Staples, it said it was in... Uh, what the twenty percent or fifteen percent or something of six thousand decks, and my guess for what that means is six thousand decks is the number of white containing decks that have been updated since that card came out, and that's what it's maybe trying to give you the data for. But there's nothing that says this, and it's just the, that's yeah, just a guess at with, best. With how small that number was compared to the total amount of decks, I think that's the fairest guess. guess. Yeah. But that's still just a guess. And um, if there is somebody who could tell us what exactly that means and why those numbers change, because outwardly, like like we we're talking about, if you look on like their main page, the numbers are consistent. You look at like a an Azorius card compared to another Azorius card, and the amount of decks that their percentage is out of are the same. Mm-hmm. But when you go onto a different page, things start to change a little bit. That amount, that percentage out of the amount of decks that it's drawing from is is different. And they never really tell you what the thing is that they are are doing there. So I, I would, maybe there, if there was like a nice info box or something that you could click or something, and maybe there is, but I'm not aware of one, um, where it would 
give you more insight into how the data is being represented. That'd be nice. Um, but even, I think we've been there, I don't remember exactly, but there's a couple other pages on their website where we see even different numbers. So it's not just like the two, there's been like at least three or four um, places where different numbers are represented and we're not quite sure what they all mean. So it, I think that's a major flaw with the data. Um, and it's not like it's wrong data. Like the data is presumably, you know, out of correct, assuming that the data it collects from is correct, right? It's just that data is a very tricky thing and interpreting it is really important. So if you just kind of give all the data to the players, they're kind of skipping that interpretation yeah, phase. Yeah, I, I think it is fair to assume that there is a reason for it being like that that makes sense and maybe if, if it is a reason more obvious than we're seeing and we're just being dumb like I, I would like to know but aside from that there's there's my it's either assume that there's a reason for it or go with my conspiracy theory that none of the decks on EDH rec are real it's, <laughs> it's all fake and it's just like <laughs> I feel like that's not the case Eli. somebody's being punked well that's very crazy, very though? unlikely that would be that would be crazy that would be crazy that'd be a ride it's just I was when we were like super analyzing it. I was like I was like pulling at my hair and trying to figure out like what is going on here. Yeah. So something else that um, people do with this misleading data is they will use um, they will use this data as like the sole um, argument behind their argument. So people will say something along the lines of, "Oh, this card shows up in six hundred decks." Therefore, card bad or card good, you know, QED, that's all they have to say about it. And that's really not what I think is reasonable to use this data for. It's I think it's more for adding to a point, not making the point in itself, right? Mm -hmm. I think, Eli, um, we were listening to even the newest Command Zone episode, and, you know, Jimmy um, mentions... Um, the uh, the new dog that uh, ramp that rampant growths you in white, and then he mentions the uh, the old one. The easy comparison, Knight of the White Orchid. But he just says this card is in how ten percent of of white decks, and then kind of for no reason doesn't make any other points. He just says that. Yeah, so he's like, Knight of the White Orchid is in about twenty percent of white decks. So therefore, this backs up my statement that the new Loyal Warhound or whatever it's called. Yeah, is a it. new white staple. And it's like, um, it's like, I, I mean, I guess, but what do we even consider a staple? Is 10%, I think it might have been like 11% of decks, I don't quite remember, but is that, does that even count as a staple? Like, you're, you're, I don't think you've even made that argument or anything, but it, it's just very, and people on Twitter will do this all the time as well. They'll be like, um, this card that I play is in, you know, 35, um, Sir, Sir Conrad decks, whatever, um, people don't know what they're talking about or whatever and it's like that's not like the entire argument you should probably make another argument along with that mm -hmm. yeah there's a there's a lot of decks that get put on there and you know it's fair to say sometimes maybe like they kind of do this thing we'll mention it probably later in the show about like the challenge the stats kind of thing on edh rec cast and sometimes you know people might have some bad takes on what goes into a deck or like what shouldn't go into a deck and it's just, it's a conglomerate of data. The average, uh, the average of a Kenrith deck isn't necessarily an argument for what should be put in a Kenrith deck. It can give you very good ideas. Like I, I'm not gonna say browsing EDH track is bad. I do it even for making my decks. Like you'll look and see what people play and decide like what you want to play. Right? It's fine. 
but like don't use that as your sole argument for why a card should be played because it's in 60% of decks. Yeah, EDH rec is good for seeing those kind of commanders that work really well with very specific kinds of cards. If you don't want to take the effort to like do a scryfall or a gatherer search for all those kinds of cards and you just want to go and see what are other people doing, like what are some of the the best like versions of those effects? then EDH Rec is a good tool for that. But it's going to miss some things, obviously. Like, yeah. some, there'll be things on there that people didn't see because it's just going off of somebody sees somebody's deck list or somebody's idea, and then they do the same thing, and then another person does the same thing. And you have to be very careful as well, um, especially when you start to look at less popular commanders or you start to do things like um, they have a section where you can um, kind of ex- take only decks that exclude certain cards or include certain cards. You have to be careful when you start getting down to really low sample sizes because they still give you the same percentage statistics. It just means less the lower sample size you go down. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point bringing up lesser played commanders because, like I was saying, that with looking at deck lists online, it kind of creates, especially like with a commander that has many different versions of the deck and maybe sometimes there's even commanders that they get kind of like little communities around them of like people who want to like make the deck better or like see like what's viable and like what want what will make the deck better and like what card they should take out or put in mm-hmm. and it kind of creates this little like feedback loop but like with a deck that nobody wants to play like Sequar the Swamp King or something like you're not going to find anything if there's like 10 Sequar players and like they're all like closely knit like all the decks or at least half of the decks or something are going to be those players and they're going to really really kind of give a false impression of what the average deck looks like because they're all like they're all yeah, like I just, together. I, I just I think know. the fewer amount of decks there are uh, for the a certain commander, valid, right? the, the less you have to really pull from there, and you're not going to find much value. Mm-hmm. Another thing about the misleading data we have here is this idea of um, how EDH rec kind of collects their deck lists, and not specifically like which sites it uses, but like there's a lot of pitfalls that can go into the deck lists that it collects. So... Um, for if if you weren't aware, I believe EDH Rec only uses decks that have been updated in the last two years, so I've had some change to it in the last two years. I believe. I believe so. Um, but there's a lot of potential problems of like misrepresentation of decks. So, for example, the first thing I want to talk about is um, a lot of decks that are in EDH Rec um, are just collections of decks that people have built on some deck building website. And never even with the intention to buy or build or play. And they're not necessarily all... I mean, and do you really think that decks that no one has played or whatever should be held to the same standard or treated the same way as decks that people actually have? I I feel like they shouldn't be, right? Yeah, it's like how... um, We might link to a a quote from this in in the editing, but... There was a bit on the Commander Clash podcast where they were talking about the Hole Breacher ban and how Hole Breacher was showing up in 20% of decks that could play it on EDH rec. The only data that we can really use um, is anecdotal evidence, which is not great. And like EDH rec, which also has its own issues where like a lot of people will just make decks and not necessarily play them. And those right. get picked up by EDH Rick as well. But that is the best, that is the one of the best things we, we have right now. It's still 18%. Um, so for just blue decks, for just blue decks, for like, I'm sorry, for like the total all, all decks, I believe, uh, which is a staggering amount 
there's no um, way that's correct though, right? Like a $25 card and 20% of blue decks of actual casual magic players. I, I, I don't think it is I don't think it is true. I think I think a lot of people are just building random decks and they'll they'll throw it in, uh, but they don't intend to actually build it. But but like again, like if we are if we're ever citing EDH rec for anything, this is always going to be uh, a same like some some bias there or error. Um, but it's the best that we have. Like we don't have other entry points. And the cast was kind of finding that suspicious because you wouldn't assume that one in five commander players that play blue are playing Hole Breacher in their deck because that's kind of a it's one of the meanie no no cards. I mean, when it was legal, that is, you know. Yeah, and I think and I think most players' experience playing commander would be that that is not the case. Like that, there's far less Hole Breachers than than one out of five blue decks, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes you think that people are just putting Hole Breacher in their lists and then not actually playing the decks, or maybe you know, just kind of brewing something up and never playing it or something. So, I don't know. That's a bit... I mean, there's not really much that EDH Rec can do to prevent collecting from those decks, but just it's a it's a point to maybe consider that some of the data isn't perfect, right? Yeah, I think it's a similar thing with some fast mana cards like Mana Crypt or... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jewel Lotus, stuff like that. Cards that people might not actually have, but maybe they're making a deck list and they want to see... Like, what's this deck look like if it's as optimal as it possibly can be? Yeah. But obviously, like, half of Commander players don't have a, a Jewel Lotus or whatever that percentage is on EDA track. Yeah, so our, like, for example here, the well, not for example, that's not what I'm trying to say, but what I'm trying to say is that deck lists online aren't necessarily indicative of the decks that people actually play. So, you know, people might have a deck list online and then they update a card in their deck and they don't they don't you know like kind of obsessively update their deck list on their website right mm-hmm. so that's also another inaccuracy from the data that i could is a potential downfall right a potential pitfall of EDH Rec data collection yeah or maybe i want to put my magic online deck list onto a deck building website so i can goldfish hands or something like that and there's a bunch of um there's a bunch of problem well not problems but there's like inaccuracies and and like things about that because like on magic online mana crypt is a five dollar card and soul rings a ten dollar card so my magic online deck doesn't have a soul ring but it has a mana crypt alpha beta duels are average a dollar yeah on magic online it's just things to keep in mind when you're looking at the, the decks mm-hmm. and i think another important thing that we had eli was that um you know sometimes people will do the thing where like um they find a deck list online and they will like make a copy of it um, to like put it in their like you know their 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 page or whatever right and they like maybe make a couple changes or something like that from what i understand those decks are are captured from edh rec similarly to how any deck is right like let's say i i find somebody's glissa deck and i just copy it to my page and then i change a couple cards and i'm just like put it away for later maybe i'll build it later right that's still counted right yeah there's this um Along those lines, you'll notice how popular new commanders, specifically commanders from precons, rise to the top ranks of like popular commanders on EDA Trek. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of theory, I'm not sure if it's confirmed in any way, that a lot of people are just putting deck lists of straight out of the box, maybe one or two changes, precons onto deck building websites. Yeah, like for example, you'd put up your 
you'd put up your Ozgear deck, and then you'd do like maybe like like some sort of like, oh, let me just take out some lands, put new lands in, maybe a couple cards, right? And even if like they don't have intentions to keep the precons together, or whatever, right? Like they just put them up because it's what they got, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a reason why precons, I think, end up higher up on those websites maybe not even maybe it's maybe they're not actually that represented like in the wild but that's just kind of like how they appear through the data right mm-hmm. and this is even something that gets brought up on the eh rec cast every once in a while when they're challenging some stat or something like that they'll look at a card that's being overplayed and be like well was that in a precon yeah it was so yeah and sometimes people will have like i've done this and i've done this myself if let's say i have my my um whatever, my, my Kenrith deck or something, right? And let's say I have my Kenrith deck from 2020, and then my Kenrith deck from, you know, January 2021, and then I save it again as Kenrith February 2021, um, and, like, I don't I want to keep the deck decklist separate. I, from what I understand, as long as something has been updated in the last two years, it will still continue to take all those decks as different decks, even though they're all me updating one deck, right? If you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you, like, save five versions of a deck separately it'll still count it as five decks. And that's just a... Like we said, there's nothing you can really do about that, but it's just a thing to keep in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Is that... Do you have anything else to add to this this topic, Eli, of, of the misrepresenting or misleading data? Well, I just wanted to bring it back to this conversation we had a couple days ago when we were working on the notes for this about what level of enfranchisement are people at in playing magic or playing commander where they put a lot of their decks or like every deck online or where they make like we were saying those changes uh, very like often every time yeah like changes or they even make um like prototypes of decks and like first drafts or something before for decks they might not even make in paper like what kind of people are uh are doing that and if if it is just enfranchise players what's the deal with the pre-con thing it's uh yeah, it's a little bit confusing. Like, like the idea of a certain type of player that is likely to put all their decks online, um, wouldn't the, wouldn't then in that case the data be kind of skewed towards those players and away from the kinds of players who don't put their lists online or don't update them all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like I keep saying this, and I'm sorry for being a broken record, but it's not necessarily something that they can avoid very easily. It's just another thing to think about when you're. Try, when you're when you're using the data to make a point, or you're you're trying to you know use the data to tell somebody why they should or shouldn't do something, I'm just saying it's maybe worth considering that like 80% of uh, the decks that are being drawn from here is just redditors or something. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with redditors, you know, but it's just people who are perpetually online. I'm thinking is uh, yeah. where you get a lot of. Because, I mean, we put our decks online, but like but, I said, we don't update them that often. And it really, it took me a long time to ever think about doing it. I just ended up putting my decks online mostly because I wanted a way to, like, goldfish easier without having yeah. to shuffle up my deck. And not all my decks are online. Like, I, I most of mine are. And I, I even have decks that I uh, have taken apart since now online. And those are counted as decks I have, right? Um, just whenever I make a new deck, though, I don't automatically put it online. So, I don't know. There's a lot to be said about this idea, but if we can maybe move on a little bit. Um, you know, the main thing that I want you to get away from this is it's up to you 
the user of EDHREC to remember that it's not it's not your job to to think that everything is perfect and and <laughs> use the data however you want it. Only you can prevent the spread of cringe. misinformation and cringe on the internet. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's our final point. Just uh, it is it's on all of us to remember that EDHREC it's far from perfect. It's it's what you got. So it nothing wrong with using it. Mm-hmm. But we, yeah, we just wanted to mention some some little things uh, to finish this out about EDHREC and like the uh, EDHREC cast. Yeah, bringing them up a little bit. They do a thing um, on their podcast called Challenge the Stats, where they, the, I think they're, what's the tagline, Eli? It's we, do you remember what they say when they when they do We're it? We're challenge some stats, y'all. There's a whole bunch of data here on EDHREC, but you know, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes cards see too much play, sometimes they see too little play. So what we love to do here is challenge those stats. Um, but that's kind of, the fact that they even do that is kind of a self-admission that the data is flawed in some way, or it's not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a... Like, even straight from the source, the people you would expect to be um, the more supportive of the data because they... I'm not not trying to allege some conspiracy or something, but, like, you know. Um, th- there's a self-admission of some problem with the data, at least in certain cases, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's a lot of, you know, weird data on EDHREC as well that seems wrong or it's misleading or something, and it's just kind of an a anomaly of how the way that it's worked. Oh, yeah, one of those things was a notable challenge to the stats. Um, fairly recently, it might have been a couple months a couple ago A couple months now, ago, yeah. But Dana brings up that his challenge for the week is the card Farseek. And you think at first, well, Farseek, that's a good card. That makes sense that it'd be played in a lot of green decks. But then he's like, well, Farseek, I think, is overplayed in mono green decks. And you think, wait, why, who would ever put Farseek in a mono green deck? For those that don't know, Farseek searches your library for a plains, swamp, island, or um, mountain. It cannot get a forest card unless it also has one of the other types. So mm-hmm. in a mono green deck, it is not able to search for any land in your deck. Um, yeah. And, and Dana makes a big point about this because it shows up in like 40 green decks or something on the website or whatever the number was. I don't quite remember. Um, of mono green decks, and he's like, "This is a card that's played too much." And my point to him, my my rebuttal to him is, I don't believe you that that card is actually played in green decks. I think that it's in people's lists that they either haven't played in paper or haven't played it online once, or it's uh in lists where they're going to play it, they're going to play the card. Someone's going to say, "Hey, bro, that doesn't work," and then it's immediately coming out. So since we've been back playing at the game shop. I I met somebody there who would say things every once in a while that seemed kind of questionable or suspect to me and and I would wonder like these these things he's saying sound familiar and then I finally put it together that he was uh must have been listening to the EDH rec cast and just saying things from their challenge the stats as if like he had seen them happen in person and one thing he said to me was like talking about overplayed cards and he was talking about Farseek and like he was saying how people He'd seen people play Farseek in their mono green deck, and I was like, wait, have you actually seen that happen? And he's like, he kind of like stopped for a moment and was almost like, yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Like, it's like, no, you haven't. I don't, I don't think you have. Or you, you heard have, that, you heard Dana saying that, and you thought he was talking about real people playing real decks, but I feel like if you were building an actual paper commander deck and you got to Farseek, 
you read Farseek and you're like, oh wait, yeah. Yeah, and I think some of those decks might just be like, um, someone's making their deck online, like on their website, and then they're like, okay, let me just put all the green ramp spells in here or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let me just throw them in, like I found them on a list, I just copy-paste them or something. And yeah, you just copy-paste, because yeah. you're not looking at each individual thing, you're taking a list of cards mm-hmm. and moving it from one section, like a different deck, to another one. Yeah. So you're not looking at the individual card. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I can see that happening. Yeah, and just to, for clarity, this was on episode um, 149 of the EDH Redcast, talking about tribal deck fundamentals, if you're interested. Somewhere around 30 minutes in or something, I believe. Yeah, so we just wanted to point that out as a big example of how it's easy for stuff like that to happen when you're building your deck online. Yeah, and I've got another quick an- anecdote um, as well about that, and that's... Um, there's a section on EDH Rec for um, uh, themed decks, okay? And under these themes, they have a section for recent reprints. And I was looking through these uh, themes and looking at the reprints, and I was looking at the equipment theme deck, or equipment theme, and if you scroll down to reprints, there are three reprints listed for the equipment theme, um, of which... 99% of the commanders were Boros or Boros plus black, and there was like one blue deck. The three cards on the on the reprints for this were Counterspell, Talisman of Ingenuity, I believe, or Creativity, Talisman of Creativity, yeah, the, the, is the, it one? the Is It One, and um, the and and uh, what's it called? Bajukabog. The These were the three reprints for the equipment theme, mm-hmm. and all I could think of was, huh, what is this data telling me? Like, like, even if you were to scroll through all of the, the their their um commanders they had up there, there was one commander that had blue in it of like the thirty commanders, and it was at the very like the very bottom of the commander. So it's like, I get it; they just reprinted counterspell, but this is not the kind of card that yeah, you want. Yeah, here are three generic staple cards that go in many decks of these colors, and it's like, no, they, these are. It just was like, here's three cards that got reprinted that are in like three decks that are under this theme, and it's like, why? Why are you doing this? So it's just, they have some anomalies sometimes, and just, <laughs> they're pretty funny when you find them. I, I think on our, I, I had that as like a trivia question. I was like, what theme are these three cards, um, you know, the, the, the re- recent reprints for? And nobody got it, because of course, why would you? It's a trick question. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Eli, yeah, I think, you know, we, we've been, we've been kind of bashing on EDA Trek for a, a bit here, but... You know, we do want to kind of bring it back, right? Right a little bit? I got one more. Oh, bash. you got one more? I, oh, I got to say. We got to bash a little more. Depala being number four on EDH rec under uh, Boros, Boros Commanders. Commanders. That is a lie. That is yeah. not true. I refute that. I will not believe it. You know, maybe you could say Osgear got up to be number two in, like, what's it been? Just a couple months since he came out? Yeah. Maybe that's possible. Maybe he's just popular and good enough that even in that short amount of time it's surpassed... Every other cooler, better Boros commander, maybe that's possible. But Depala, no, I don't buy it. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting piece of stats that I, you know, it 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 might even be correct, but it just seems so odd. Right? I'm gonna challenge that. Going to challenge that stats. Yeah. Depala is not the fourth most popular Boros commander. I that's fake, fake news. <laughs> no, um, well, have you guys seen a Depala deck? In the wild, I've only seen one Depala deck ever, and it's the guy doesn't have the deck anymore. I've never seen. Her. I feel like I've played a lot of Commander. I've never seen her. And the, and like, I mean, I've seen like like seven or eight Osgear decks, seven or eight Feather decks. I have to fight um, these weekly urges to build new Boros Commanders. Mm-hmm. 
and I never feel the urge for Depala. So if that's a, I don't know. That's just my opinion. We're just a little bit of haters right now. But haters, so. Don't uh, don't take any of that personally. We're just kind of goofing on Depala, you know. Yeah. Okay, but now we got to talk. We got to talk some some defense of uh, EA Trek. Um. So why don't you start us off, Eli? Say something good now that you said something bad. Well, so the main one of the uh, premises of this uh, this episode was the idea. Is flawed information better than no information? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Spencer? Um, so that's a really difficult question, right? Because there, it, there's a lot to it. Um, I think Magic players in general really like to like they they like to they really like information, so, so they like to cling to whatever even flawed information they can get. So in that sense, maybe the bad information is doing harm because players will kind of instinctively use it to mean more than it does, right? Yeah, I mean, humans are naturally curious. We want to know everything sometimes. But that being said, obviously, EDA track is is, is cool, and it's a net positive, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's good that it exists. Um, I think that's kind of why we're doing this episode, is we just want to get that out there and make more people aware that you've really got to... You can't just look at it and take it at face value. You've got to think about it a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Just one thing that really triggers me is whenever I see those people that just use EDH rec uh, numbers in decks, like this is in this many decks, as their sole argument for something. That's a big pet peeve of mine. Please just put some more thought into it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a thing you can bring up and a thing you can mention, yeah. but it's not like it's it's what's the, the thing? QED. Uh, QED, yeah. Yeah, which me, if you're unfamiliar, means... Uh, you know, you put that at the end of, like, a proof. to. It's like, and thus it was shown, I think, is the quote. Yeah, what is it? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Latin uh, Latin phrase. I don't think we have it had, written down. I had it written down. Uh, Quod erat demonstrandum. Yeah, I like that. Yes, there you go. I moved it on the show notes so you couldn't find it. <laughs> One thing to say that's really nice about EDH Rec is that, you know, it's a really good tool, I think, for new players... And even in franchise players making decks or looking for suggestions for their existing decks. Like, everyone will use EDH Trek. Maybe not everyone, but it, it is the most popular site. And for a good reason. It's a yeah. good-looking site, too. It's well put together. Yeah. yeah, we use it. Yeah, we even... I'll admit to that. Every bad thing we have to say, we use the site. I don't really use it to, like, build decks, but if I'm making a new deck, I maybe want to see, like... What's this... What's a really popular card that might show up in there? And what's something I might have might not have thought of, because... Clearly, we like to hear other people's opinions on stuff and see what other people are doing. Yeah, EDH Trek did kind of revolutionize um, deck building in, in some way because, you know, before to build decks, you would either have to pull from only your knowledge, do like a giant gatherer search for cards, or look at other people's decks as ideas. Now you have kind of a, a conglomerate of, of decks that you can kind of at least browse through the cards and like think about them. Maybe not put value on the numbers in them, but... You know, you have a, a list of cards that might go in your deck, which is nice. Yeah, I would say accessibility of information is almost always a good thing mm-hmm. for expanding your player base and getting new people invested in your game. And even one of the best things about EDA Trek, I think, is just the ability to go to EDATrek.com and then click Commanders, then click, you know, Jund or whatever, and then just look at all the Jund Commanders. It's it's just it's a little bit easier than doing like a gatherer search than just to see all of the the commanders you can play in those colors like to look for a new deck or something. It's yeah. a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So 
Do you want to kind of hit us with this uh, this last thing? I know Eli, you had brought up the, is is uh, EDH rec data is flawed information better than no information? Well, let's right? imagine a world without EDH rec. Yeah, let's imagine there is no EDH rec. What do we have? What fills? It's like they say when you uh, when you topple a dictator, there's a power vacuum. Mm-hmm. What fills the void? What is it, Eli? What would be the new great dictator of commander information? So we were looking and about like online to scour the internet for sources of you know commander statistics, right? And there really is only one other source that we could find. What is that source, Eli? Our old nemesis, <laughs> the command zone, Josh Lee Kwai. <laughs> He's sitting in a chair petting a cat. <laughs> So a couple of years ago, I think it, this first one was 2018. Mm-hmm. They did this big stat. It was a series. There was two episodes. They did a stat series where they they brought in some professional statistician mm-hmm. and as a they, consultant or yeah, uh, as a consultant, like and they looked through over 300 different gameplay videos, including uh, episodes from Game Nights, MTG Mudsta. Star City Games, Commander Versus, and Commander Clash from MTG Goldfish. Yep. And they they had certain things they were looking at when they did this to like see what's the most winningest color or what's the... Uh... That was their quote, not our quote. <laughs> yeah. We don't say winningest. <laughs> winningest. Yeah. The uh, what Does turn one soul ring positively or negatively impact you? Stuff like that. And so they, they drew a lot of... Some of their conclusions from that were, um, were for example, that turn one soul ring decreases your win percentage. Going first increases your win percentage. Winning players have more lands in play at the end of the game on average. And Super Friends was the winningest deck type. Yeah, archetype or whatever. And then in part two of their video, they just talked about the best and worst colors. And I think their color breakdown was black number one, then green, then blue, then red, then white. And this is... I think we had a clip in one of our previous episodes yeah. where they say white decreases your win percentage overall, and DJ says that's actionable data right there. That's like what saying that if you take white out of a deck that is white containing, it makes your deck better. And actionable data, what that means is it's data that you can take action upon. So he's saying you should do this. You should take white out of your deck because you get a higher win percentage if you play a, a you know a Jun deck instead of a four color deck. Yeah, and it was very triggering for me. <laughs> say what we will, and obviously this is this is gameplay statistics compared to like deck building statistics, so it's kind of a different a different beast, right? different ballpark. Um, but EDH rec, even without the tapped out, their sample size maybe maybe it is large enough to yeah, for those percentages to mean something, right? Yeah, uh, over three hundred. That, yeah, that's that's that the sample command. size. That was is, their um, first sample size for command zone. Oh, they they said over three hundred. So, by the way, quick quick cheat for everybody in the audience. If someone says over three hundred, they mean like three hundred and twenty. Okay. If someone says, if someone ever tells you, I've got all these good reasons. I've got A and B and many more. They really just have A and B. They don't have many more. Otherwise, they would have said them. Um, but three hundred is not a, a good sample size whatsoever. I think Eli, you were listening to their thing back, and you said they had talked. To their um, their statistical yeah, their consultant. consultant. Yeah, they had a. I, I never really thought about this much because I listened to this episode when it came out and a couple times since then because I go back to it and like we want to we got to farm content, you know. Yeah. So maybe we'll even do a deeper dive on these episodes some other time. But 
they had this bit talking to their consultant and he pretty much was telling them it was it was a separate clip it wasn't during the episode so it was like a pre-recorded or recorded after the fact that they edited it in and he was talking to them about how this sample size you couldn't really draw too much from it and you shouldn't like make any very clear statements about anything because mm-hmm. it's not for sure yeah and to, to be a little bit fair they do on the ep- at the start of the episode say something along the lines of this isn't you know v- like perfect data or whatever we use we're going to use this to kind of back up our assumptions or maybe get us to ask more questions they don't treat it as it is gospel or whatever right but that being said, I think, you know, there's a lot of problems with it. And they maybe even, they maybe, I think they go a little bit too far with what they say from it. That's what I think. Yeah, they, they have that statement from the consultant. And then they kind of, they preface it a little bit. And then the farther they go into doing it, the more they seem to kind of forget that. Yeah, it's And seems... they get a little bit lost in the sauce. It feels like that, yeah. Yeah, um... And I think, Eli, what was it, their second one they did? When was that, 2019, 2020? I think 2019, uh, they did uh, Command Zone, like, game... Commander Mythbusters or something like that. And they looked at, like, 50 decks for this one. Yeah, they looked at, like, 50 games around there. 50 games, not decks, sorry. Yeah, so a much, much smaller sample size. And then they started saying a bunch of other things about how long games go, how many times you cast your commander, how many times you attack. Eli and I have this thing... uh, Every time that, well, not every time we play a game, but every once in a while, you know, you'll you'll play a game of Commander and then you'll be like, huh, how many, what's the average, what did the Command Zone say? The average times you cast your Commander per game? One and a half per player? Huh, how many times was a Commander cast this game? Oh, like 15 times the whole game? Hmm, thinking emoji. Yeah, and there's, I don't think there's anything that wrong with them doing something like this and being like, hey, this is just some interesting things that we yeah. found. But some of the things they say, they say with such confidence like the actionable data thing, and and they say it to such a wide audience that there's people, like like I was talking about the guy at the shop, like quoting the thing from EDH Rec, people will hear this information and they'll they'll take it almost like it's close to fact because they'll yeah. they'll be like, well, these guys did they did the data like they don't understand what the um the sample size really means. Yeah, and I I think I I've, I'm not I'm sorry I don't think I know I've heard um Jimmy or Josh I can't remember who exactly. In the in the after they've made these episodes, reference them as data for their points. So, for example, Jimmy might might say something along the lines of, um, "This six mana commander is bad because we only cast our commander on average one time a game." Or Josh might say something along the lines of, "You know, on average, um, you know, we're only seeing that people have like two and a half attack steps per game. So this card that has an attack trigger isn't going to get much value." And that's just like not like like that's going against their whole point of the data not being able to be extrapolated like that and then they're going in the future and using it or at least hearkening back to that data um maybe not in a very honest way that's yeah. what i think and i don't think they're intentionally being dishonest i think they're just kind of falling into the trap i don't think the command zone is trying to mislead people yeah josh mentions this thing in the their first run of stats videos how he liked that the consultant they brought on wasn't an enfranchised commander player he played magic but not specifically commander so he keeps saying it's good that you don't have any biases Mm -hmm. for commander you're not looking to prove anything yeah but then after the fact um they're looking to prove something josh is definitely looking to prove some stuff like what was he talking about um he the the uh the he used the 
win percentage going first increase uh, to kind of make his his point for Badalkin. Oh, Reed. yeah. So this is something it's it's kind of tangential, but I wanted to bring it up because I, w- I was just re-listening to this and it always it gets me how they talk about how the player going first has an increased win percentage. And that's something that that I would have agreed with and that I I do agree that with. That seems reasonable. I think first player does have an advantage. Um, and the reasons they bring that up it, or the points they bring up for the first player having an advantage is that. So if you're the first player and you win the game, that that turn you had, you had the extra resources. You had on the that extra turn, card, the much. extra mana, all those things. Yeah, right? you're the first person to have access to a certain amount of resources, and I think that is a big deal. So if you win on and you went first, you pretty much had an extra turn you, up on the rest of the players. On, if you went on turn eight, you know, you had a turn eight. The other players didn't have a turn eight. Yeah, and that's so the resource from that is the mana advantage from getting that extra untap and drawing yeah. the extra card and the attack step, I guess, as well. Yeah. And so Josh starts turning it in this thing about how this is why Valdalk and Ori is so good because it lets you change your spot at the table and, and DJ like immediately kind of like, uh, bless him. He, he bites back a little bit and he's like, wait, that's not really how that works because you, you took your turn off to play Valdalk and Ori and you're not getting the extra amount of resources and Josh just keeps, he does not, he won't concede. He won't concede that, yeah, that just, it's not true, you know. Yeah, it's a little bit of. I mean, obviously, Vidalkin Ori does allow you, does give you advantages. Like it allows you to play at instant speed. You can take a turn off and then play end step, right? Right. That's that's. But that's not like the point they were making about. Yeah, I it get, doesn't fit. I get the statement of saying Vidalkin Ori lets you change your spot at the table. That being said, it does not leapfrog you in front of somebody. You're still behind everybody. It doesn't put you ahead of player one. That yeah. does. That's just never the case. You're like, you're still the fourth player and or the third player at the table, and you still need to wait your turn. If you lose the game, you know, on turn nine for the first for the, the first player, the player going first wins on turn nine. You did not have your turn nine. Yeah, you still untap and draw on the same yeah. turn count as yeah. you normally would. So I just wanted to bring that up. And mm-hmm. oh, Josh. Well, I think we've kind of cooled down a little bit. <laughs> we've had our little bit of a rant. Um, I just want to preface, or not preface, because I'm saying it after the fact. So, um, everybody, you know, all loved uh, everyone, EDH Rec, Command Zone, all these people. They're all great people for the most part. And uh, <laughs> no hatred towards any of them. They're all doing their best. We just got a little complaints every once in a while. Well, it's like we said. What's, uh, what's worse? No information or bad information? Magic players... I'm certain would rather have the bad information or the flawed information than no information. Almost certainly, yes. And that's a that makes sense. That's an appealing thing. People don't want to feel in the dark. People don't like not knowing stuff. Mm-hmm. We're curious, so I think it's it's net positive that these things have been done. You know. Yeah, and I if you've got any like any experiences or cool takes about EDH Rec. We'd love to hear them. I did some searching online, and I really couldn't find too many um, negative um, takes about EDH Rec talking about some of the things that we're talking about today. So if you have any places that you've seen that happen or you want to you know, let me know, I would be interested to hear. I did see, um, just a, a slight aside, I did see some um, negative uh, takes about the Command Zone stats yep. because there was certainly some problems with that, but... Um, Mostly on Reddit and stuff like that. And Josh has said he does not go on Reddit. He's, he's specifically said that very recently, within the last month. And God bless his soul. Jimmy will, though. Jimmy will. If you want to get him. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think that about does it for the main topic for this episode. Right, Eli? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's about what we got to say. And yeah, like Spencer said, let us know if uh, 
if you have any other takes on anything, or if we're totally wrong on a bunch of stuff, or if there's something big that we missed or misunderstood, uh, we really don't know. This is another kind of episode where we end it, and we're like, we don't really... Yeah. We don't know. This is one of the reasons that we... Um took us so long to make this episode because it's it's very hard to collect all this data about about the data that is about edh rec it's and it's hard to come in we like to be pretty prepared for our episodes i think generally we do a decent bit of research for every episode and this was one where we were kind of scared to do because we're like man have we not done maybe we haven't done enough research for this before to do the episode and i think in the end of the day though it's probably just okay to get out and do it i think we did do a good job um preparing for it but you know, it's it's a little bit intimidating. And that kind of brings me along to what is at least part of our uh, little ending segment that I want to talk about, which is um, kind of encouraging other people who are maybe uh, not really or, or maybe want to do something like a podcast or other content or write articles or whatever mm-hmm. um, and are a bit scared to do it. Um, maybe we can talk about our experience with starting the podcast um, all the way back in uh, November, I think, of last year. Um, that was be- our first episode came out in January, but that was when we kind of started. We did a doing- little pilot. We did a pilot episode, which is um, never just hit the light of day because it was <laughs> bad. But no, um, do you want to maybe start to talk a little bit about the uh, origins of the podcast, Eli? Yeah. So, um, like Spencer said, we going on. Uh, it must have been the end of no- 2020 or like I think it was November, November or uh, September or something. Well, like before that. we recorded the. Uh, the pilot, we would kind of talk before going to play cards or like hang out or something. And we would talk about maybe starting a podcast sometime. It's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time because I've been a long time listener and fan of like different commander podcasts. I love podcasts. I love um, listening to all different kinds of topics on stuff. And, and I always thought that would be a fun thing to do. So I, I wanted to kind of refute some opinions because a lot of the commander podcasts and the shows you'll listen to it was a lot of people saying the same thing over and over and a lot of stuff that i disagreed with and and i didn't think think it was very productive just to always be like man spencer these guys are being so cringe right now and <laughs> like, maybe we should you know take some action on it like do something about it. yeah you know, even if this doesn't have any real impact um no no greater impact on the format right but yeah, i wanted to share some different views and hopefully put this out and encourage other people to share different views and yeah and you know i'm not trying to say that we've like made it but you know we're we're coming up on 50 subscribers now it's a big milestone for us um we started back in january i believe january 1st and now it's you know almost the end of july so you know not not the worst growth in the world i'm pretty happy yeah i mean it's not not 50, 50 might seem pretty insignificant but it's uh you know, we put a decent amount of effort into it, but we really only do like the the two podcast episodes and like maybe a tier list here and there and some other content. So we don't invest like a ton of time into it and like a lot of resources. And it's just been a really fun thing and it's been really laid back. And I, I certainly appreciate all the effort that you put into it, Spencer, because you, you do, I'd consider, I'd say more work than I do. Yeah, just mostly the editing and stuff. But um, I do want to like just encourage other people, if you feel like, you know, there's something about commander or magic or anything in general that you feel like is not being represented well um you know try to get your word out there if, you, if you're the kind of person that wants to speak your mind right um i think for me especially in the past i've been a person who's been really really suffered from like a lot of you know like social anxiety and stuff like that so i would be very hesitant to start things 
And I think one thing that really can help you if you're looking to try to start something is find another person who's willing to kind of get you to do it. So like, for example, Eli and I kind of push each other to keep getting the episodes out there, keep working on it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this probably wouldn't happen. If it was just a solo thing, it's really hard to get yourself to do something on your own. Oh my God. If it was just me, we wouldn't get anything done. (laughs) Yeah. Or same, same for just me as well. So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're, you know, and, and I, I am happy, um, you know, whenever I get a comment or whatever on the podcast or, you know, there's a new subscriber or something, even something small like that does bring you and I, I believe Eli, a lot of joy. That's, we're not tr- doing it for viewers or whatever, but like, you know, that, that does feel nice. Oh yeah. And, uh, and 50, it really does mean a lot to me and I appreciate everyone who's listened and subscribed or, or left, or left a comment or anything. That means a lot too. One way I've had it compared and it's, it's different for like, um, I heard this uh, analogy for for Twitch streamers thinking like you might think if you only have like one one or like five like viewers like that's not a big deal but that's like that's like a bunch of people like coming over to your place like watch you like do a speech or something if you have like 20 people that's like you filled a classroom if you have 100 people that's like you filled an amphitheater yeah that's and that's a really interesting way to think about it like it really can kind of put you into because it can be it can be easy to kind of overlook that number and not really realize how many people that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, thank you to everybody on on uh, Spotify or any other um, of the um, RSS feed podcasting apps. We do appreciate you guys as well. Um, it's a little bit harder to um, gauge how many people are listening, but I think we have somewhere around 30 people that listen to all the podcast episodes. That's really awesome. Love all you guys, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more thanks I want to give. You were talking about Twitch streamers. Um, you might have noticed there's a slight difference in audio quality this episode. We're rocking two microphones right now. Um, my good friend, um, Quinn... Uh, he's a magic player as well. Also, he has a Twitch handle, Solus Midwest. Um, he uh, got a new, really good mic, and he gave us um, his old uh, microphone here. Pretty nice one, too, to um, work on the podcast for. So thank you very much, Quinn. Yeah, I so in that. a way, this episode is sponsored by Solus Midwest. Follow him on uh, Twitch and Twitter and stuff on YouTube yeah, if you want. Yeah, he's um, an awesome guy. Plays like shooters and stuff like Escape from Tarkov. We're hoping to have things. him on sometime. Yeah, he's a he's fun. a really cool guy. Maybe have him on a tier list or an episode sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you have anything else that you want to kind of wrap up with, Eli? Or is that pretty much what we got? I think that's pretty much it. Just a final um, thank you to everyone for, for listening. And hopefully uh, we'll probably see 50 subscribers within the, this week, I would think. And um, I don't know about like doing a giveaway or something. I don't know how that would work. Maybe we can figure something out, like way to say thank you, like on Twitter or something. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just something fun. We could we could make Solus Midwest dance or something and post a video of that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe just like something. I don't know. We'll work on it. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, I guess subscribe, like Twitter, all that stuff. I guess. Yeah, we're uh, on Twitter at EDH Takes. Uh, again, we don't really tweet much. But you'll get the episode, and every once in a while, I'll, Eli or myself will give a little introspective meme or something. But if you tweet at us or leave a comment on the episodes, we are very likely to respond. Like, I, I check that Certainly. constantly. Like, that's my other, like, social media thing now is, like, YouTube Studio. Yeah. <laughs> Just looking at that and seeing what people have to say. Because if somebody says something nice to me, I want to say thank you right away because it really, we really do appreciate it. All right. Well, that's about all we got. So uh, appreciate it, guys. And uh, that's 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 it. Yeah, we'll see you next time.